Today's program was brought to you by Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. For more information, visit copperandkings.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fomen About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Isaac. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Barry, today tastes lovely. <laughs> uh Thanks for being you. I'm going to go straight. Let's go straight to what you're fermenting right now, and then we'll go into okay. some, some events and, and, announcements. and announcements. Okay. So last week, if you listened to the last episode, what episode are we on tonight, by the way? 161 or 162? I believe it's 162. Damn, we oh, need to look at that every time before we go on the air. We always forget. <laughs> anyway, last week. Um, Too many to 161. It's 161. Right, hey, backwards and forwards. So right, last week, episode 160, uh, we did. Uh, we just talked about what we've been fermenting and what we're planning to ferment and some seasonal stuff. Uh, and I've been hooked on fermented cashew cheese. So I haven't actually ventured into other nuts, but but I'm starting with cashew cheese and kind of perfecting that process. Um, and I made several batches of it for the Ferment Ferment Festival, which was recently in Brooklyn, here in Brooklyn. Um, and I used... So cashew cheese seems to be a lacto-driven fermentation. So it's using a one or more strains of lactobacillus bacteria to generate lactic acid, lower the pH, and, you know, also create a bunch of aromas and flavors um, associated with fermentation. So you're basically making kind of a slightly tart, umami-ish cashew paste um, when you ferment. So a lot of times people will start with anything from rejuvelac, which is a lacto-driven um, natural fermentation that you can do from different types of grain. Um, or you can start with probiotic tablets. You or can start with... Or away. Yeah, or lacto... Um, brine from pickles. So my first batch, I did some probiotic tablets and lactobrine. This patch, this batch, I just wanted to do straight probiotic tablets. So I used a vegan probiotic tablet. Uh, Jaro is the brand name. Um, I, I'm not, can't, oh, I think I wrote it down. It's the one that's like 3.4 billion um, is the strength, I guess, is what, for lack of a better word. Anyway, capsules. So I started with one and a half pounds of cashews, soaked them overnight, um, I then strained them, rinsed them with chlorine-free water. I added five Jero, uh, these Jero capsules and blended it all in a uh, food processor till I got a really nice, pretty smooth paste. Um, I then set my sous vide stick at 106 degrees, and I ended up doing overnight. They had obviously been fermenting, but I thought, hey, why not go a little longer? So I ended up around 18 to 20 hours. If you don't have a sous vide stick, you can do this in any way that you can maintain a temperature somewhere between I'd say 104 and 108. So you could do it in an oven with a light bulb on or with a grow mat or anything like that. Anything where you can keep a, a, a reasonably steady temperature. Anywhere you could make a yogurt. Yeah, exactly. You could use a yogurt maker as well. Um, a cooler filled with hot water. Yes, anything. Obviously, you want to keep the... Uh, I did it in a jar, so you want to keep the paste away from the water. Um, anyway, so then I split it into a batch 
three batches, so eight ounces of cashew paste each already fermented. I added a teaspoon of, uh, or somewhere between a teaspoon and half a tablespoon of nutritional yeast flakes, just for a little bit extra oomph. Oh, I also added salt, actually. I left that part out. I did add some salt, um, and I didn't measure it, but I will next time. I'm still tweaking the recipe. So I added some salt when I added the Jaro capsules, the probiotic capsules. Uh, I split into three batches. The first one, I added nutritional yeast flakes and a little bit of Wright's liquid smoke, the hickory flavor. So Wright's is a liquid smoke that is just water and smoke. So it doesn't have any additives or preservatives. And I think it, it works really, really well. Uh, so that's a smoked variety. Uh, the second one, I added nutritional yeast flakes again, a little bit of my aged house-made rice miso, and then some, Rachel can correct my pronunciation of this, shichimi. Tag- shichimi, to- yeah. Shichimi togarashi. It seven spices, I believe. Yeah, it's a Japanese spice. Mm-hmm. I got it at Kalushian's in Manhattan, which is probably my favorite place to buy spices in the city. Um, and then the third one, again, another eight ounces of cashew paste, fermented cashew paste, a little bit of uh, nutritional yeast flakes, and I used a peri-peri spice blend, which is a North African spice blend. So we're actually eating them. I brought them for everybody to try. I wanted to get some, some more opinions, but they're freaking delicious. So we apologize in advance for any <laughs> crunching you might hear on air because they are amazing, um, especially, they're all really good, but especially the smoked one really tastes like a smoked gouda or a smoked cheddar. And um, I think if you didn't tell somebody that it wasn't cheese, they would not know. Yeah, um, I feel pretty good. So I think, you know, these these are definitely easy to do. It's really easy if you have a yogurt making setup or a sous vide stick. But even if you don't, these it's a really easy, reliable, quick way to do a fermented cashew cheese. Um, I'm going to work on there's some other natural additives that you can use. Agar agar is a, a natural vegetarian gelatin. So I haven't broken into manipulating the texture, but those are going to be my next experiments. Um, but this texture on these three are noticeably different than the yeah it's pretty firm i think because i only use the probiotic powder it didn't i didn't add any additional liquid so it's a little firmer it's more like a gate like a fresh goat cheese texture i think Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. only a little maybe a slightly aged goat cheese a little bit firmer so the texture is pretty nice i molded them i just wrapped them in cheese cloth and then um i used a i have a silicone like these little mini loaf pan and i just use that to kind of mold them in uh with the cheesecloth wrapped around them which i think you know makes it a nice pr- presentation, I guess. More cheese-like. It's like a cheese platter yeah. right here in the studio. So we have a couple quick announcements, most of which you've heard before. Um, as far as beer and brewing action, Savor Craft Beer is the um, American craft beer and food experience that's put on by the Brewers Association. Um, that is June 3rd and 4th in Washington, D.C. It's a fabulous event, and there are tickets still available. So if you're interested in going, that is Savor, S-A-V-O-R, craftbeer.com. Uh, Homebrew Con, which is the Homebrewers Conference put on the American Homebrewers Association. Chris and I will be there. I'll be doing a book signing oh, either Friday or Saturday. I can't remember where. And I'm giving a seminar on Thursday on shortcut sours. So we'll be talking a lot more about lacto. Um, that is on June 9th through 11th in Baltimore. And registration is still open for that. So if you are interested in going, it's going to be a great time. There's a ton of great seminars. There's always a ton of amazing homebrews pouring, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, that's homebrewcon.org. And then last but not least, Big Brew. Not last but not least, oh. but very importantly, and definitely not least, May 7th, 2016, Big Brew Day uh, in 1988, the uh, Congress uh, announced the first Saturday in May as National Homebrew Day. So the American Homebrew Association created AHA Big Brew as an annual event to celebrate National Homebrew Day around the world. Uh, it's held each year on that Saturday, and uh, there are a bunch of recipes that a lot of people like 
all brew in their own respective areas, or you just get together and, and homebrew. Um, and if you are don't aren't, aren't currently part of a group and you're interested in attending a big brew day, the American Homebrewers Association has um, a lookup so you can find a big brew near you. So if you go to homebrewersassociation.org, events, big brew for National Homebrew Day, um, they have a number of um, areas across the country as well as in other countries. Queens Beer Week is coming up May 13th to 22nd, and there's a lot of fun stuff happening. And Queens has quite quite a, quite a an incredible list of breweries on their roster, uh, all very different, very unique, and very close to one another. It starts on the 13th, um, and it's going to be pretty awesome. I guess uh, look for it. <laughs> How many breweries do we have based out of Queen now? I don't remember. We have at least seven, if not eight. Mm-hmm. No, nine. I think there's nine now. So... Probably and by the time this uh, comes out, maybe more. I know, exactly. Yeah. All right. I am very, very, very excited about today's episode. Um, I've been a fan of this gentleman for for quite some time. And uh, lo and behold, uh, he also wrote a book on other things that we are very, very, very interested in. Let us present the fermented man, <laughs> Derek Dillinger. Welcome. Welcome to the studio. How's it going, guys? Uh, for, you are the brewer for uh, Kent Falls Brewing. Uh, I love I love the work you do uh, with Kent Falls, um, but this book is a journey of of eating nothing but fermented foods for a year. Before we dive right into that, who are you? Where? How did you get here, uh, or to that point? Uh, <laughs> and in one hundred in in a tweet or less, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of uh, coincidences and uh, strange occurrences, I guess. Uh, I've been homebrewing for five years now. Um, all in all, not actually that long. I've uh, been writing a beer blog called uh, Bear Flavored, Bear Like mm-hmm. the Animal. Uh, and through that and just uh, getting immersed, immersed in the world of fermentation and meeting brewers and other people interested in fermentation, both these things came about, uh, getting involved in Kent Falls Brewing Company and uh, this extreme diet adventure that I undertook for the book. Um, there's, there's really no, no easy short explanation to, to that whole that backstory. Well, when, when you started on the adventure for the book, uh, that was around the same time as you were going through a career change to Kent Falls. Is that? Yeah. Uh, more or less. Um, I was helping run a homebrew shop in Beacon, New York for a little while and trying to explore the world of professional brewing. Um, and just really getting obsessed with the world of fermentation, uh, which led to the idea for the book, which led to me kind of just making this big jump into to both realms of things. Mm-hmm. So what was the inspiration behind the book or kind of the concept of eating nothing but fermented foods um, and beverages? It started really, really simply, actually, with uh, just this realization that I, I, I went to a natural food market and basically just bought a jar of sauerkraut, it was red cabbage sauerkraut, a lot different from the sauerkraut that most people grown up with. Soggy, you know, soggy, unpleasant stuff on hot dogs at, at ball games and so forth. Bought this jar of red red cabbage sauerkraut and was reading the the jar and how proud it was that it contained microbes and that it contained uh, lactobacillus, which from brewing I knew, you know, uh, knew what it did in, in the context of beer. And probably was vaguely aware that it, uh, you know, made sauerkraut and made yogurt and all these other things. But it hadn't, I hadn't really consciously thought about that and the overlap between all these different foods. And just sort of all of a sudden clicked that like, oh, man, this, this bacteria makes like half the things we eat. 
it's like just this, you know, just that one bacteria strain, not to mention fermentation in general. It's kind of all encompassing. And that train of thought just sort of snowballed to where I, like a few days later, I just kind of had this, this thought experiment pop into my head where like, you could probably just live off of fermented foods. I don't know why, why you try to do that. Like maybe that's a book idea. Like it just quickly snowballed into like, yeah, I mean that there's that many fermented foods out there. It's that universal that it really like, it makes up every type of food we could eat. Mm -hmm. So the year of fermentation that you did from, uh, all of 2014 2014 yeah. all of 2014 it wasn't just for it wasn't for like any health reasons what was what was the purpose of it um so like i said uh that idea kind of sprang out of my mind and uh again by accident pretty much uh it turned into an actual book idea rather than a half joking thought experiment that i had um i decided to pursue it and i wasn't trying to rectify any particular health concerns um you know i didn't have anything in my diet specifically that, that was terribly wrong that I was trying to address. Um, I was probably like most Americans, like, a, you know, we're more conscious of what we eat lately, but I, there's so much conflicting dietary advice. There, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to balance it all and, and figure out what the perfectly healthy diet is. But, um, you know, beyond exploring that and just trying to evolve my diet into something better and better all the time, I wasn't trying to address anything in particular. I, I wanted to use the idea to grab the attention of people who might not be immersed in fermentation already, um, give them something to latch onto and question, uh, a reason to pick up the book and, and ask, like, how could you live off of fermented food? Uh, so it's definitely a narrative hook for the book. It's, it's mm. something that I, I want to use to draw on people who aren't going to buy one of Sandra Katz's fermentation guides. That, that kind of relies on, or that kind of necess necessitates a little commitment that you know, you're already willing to go home and ferment some foods in your kitchen on your own. You're already sort of at a base level of knowledge of fermentation. I want to go uh, with this book even, you know, below that to a type of consumer, type of reader who might just be browsing in Barnes & Noble, has, knows, you know, knows the word fermentation. They've, they've heard it before. They might not know it extends beyond beer or maybe cheese or bread uh, and is kind of so flummoxed, so flummoxed by this the concept that, that someone could live off fermented food that hopefully they're interested in reading the book, uh, learning more about it. Hopefully they enjoy it and maybe then move on to buying a, a guidebook or maybe wanting to, to make sauerkraut at home. But it's really something that's so important that it shouldn't be relegated to only people who are willing to engage with this as a DIY hobby. It's right. something even yeah. more important than that. Although I, I will say that as somebody who ferments a lot of different things, that you... It's a very interesting book. Like oh, I, yeah. I thought. It, I mean, you taste Good. a lot of yeah. things. You went that, right. above and you've got you went a lot of areas, and <laughs> right. you made it very relevant. And it is a nice. You know, it's a, yes. there's a story there too. As I, well I as, want it to be. Yeah, I want it. Obviously, you want it to be interesting for people mm -hmm. who do know fermentation mm -hmm. as well as you guys who are intermediates who are beginners. And hopefully, you know, an interesting story, regardless of right. how familiar Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. It's very anecdotal. Yeah. It's very personal uh, with your with your. But you you do a great job of also explaining the history behind some of the ferments oh, yes. that you end up getting to. Uh, as well as what it, what it means to you and, and kind of where it applies to your your experience, which 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 is is deep. It comes from a from a from a from a beer person first, right? Right. right. Which is kind of like I love this book because it kind of embodies kind of <laughs> what we're doing with this show. To, to me, like we're learning through all these things. With that, yeah, actually, because um, especially in the book, because you you mentioned that like at the beginning, you've just basically made ever made beer and like sauerkraut, mm -hmm. and then you start with vegetables, and then you suddenly 
explore the rest of the world, and I feel like that's that could be like any of the readers. Hopefully, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the book we're talking about is called The Fermented Man. Uh, yes. uh, when does it come out? It comes out July 19th. July 19th. Okay. Yeah. We feel blessed to have an advanced copy here mm-hmm. talking about it. We're going to take a very quick break and come back on Men About It with Derek Dillinger. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, also the host of Full Service Radio. And I want to talk to you about Brandy. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Louisville, and we all know Kentucky is whiskey territory. However, the best thing I had to drink was brandy. I got to visit Copper and King's Distillery, and they make pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels, matured with rock and roll. That's right sonic aging they're playing music to the barrels the stuff is double distilled non-chill filtered unadulterated by bois sugar or caramel color and this stuff is feisty rambunctious with a long smooth finish the stuff isn't made exactly in the style of an international brandy or a cognac it's more along the lines of an american whiskey i can really be honest here and tell you i'm not just reading you an ad i'm giving you a tip american brandy You're not seeing it everywhere. Copper and Kings is doing it incredibly well, and they're cool people. The distillery is full of incredible art. Like I said, they're playing rock and roll to the barrels. So again, Copper and Kings, pure copper, pot distilled, American brandy, aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. That's copperandkings.com. Drink it neat, put it in a cocktail, sub it for your brown spirits, experiment, have fun, get funky. This stuff is awesome. Welcome back to episode 161 of Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're here in the studio with Derek Dellinger, uh, author of The Fermented Man. And, uh, and, and a fermented man. And a fermented man, <laughs> apparently. No, you smell, you smell just fine. It's great. You know. It's been a while since 2015. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so going into this, uh, it, what, how did you decide what day one was? Did you plan out your first month of, of diet? Uh not meal by meal. Um, I, I, before I started, I mean, it seemed to make sense to do a January one gen, to January one as a, a full year. Um, so in about the beginning of December of 2013, I spent a couple weekends, mainly one one major fermentation uh, session, one one weekend, just driving around to farmers markets, local grocery stores, brought home a whole giant pile of produce to ferment. Um, as kind of the, you know, veggies are the easiest way to get started fermenting, uh, as most people find. And, you know, I, I just made this giant, huge, uh, array of different veggie ferments, kind of thinking naively that I'd sort of be able to, to live off of that to an extent, which I quickly realized, oh yeah, sauerkraut doesn't really have many calories. (laughs) Yeah, you burn more. Not, not something that you really, you know, you think about all the fermentation, uh, health effects and, and people, I think encountering this, the concept of this diet for my book, not really thinking like, oh yeah, all the things that we normally talk about as like the healthy side of fermented foods are not really things you can actually live off of. Kimchi is like more of a condiment than an actual food. Right. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I made this giant array of different veggie ferments to prepare myself. Um, tried a bunch of experiments all at once, some of which worked, some of which didn't, but, uh, 
you know, I kind of had a rough game plan. Um, d- different things I feared I would start out and try and, and build upon, depending on what I liked and how I was, you know, succeeding with my first few weeks of meals. What? There's a lot of questions I have. <laughs> so I guess what was what was kind of the biggest? What was your big? What was a big stumbling block? I guess that you found. Yeah, so you said calories, like yeah. realizing yeah. that you couldn't get enough calories from sauerkraut and kimchi. Right. So what was some other like kind of stumbling block or big realizations along the way? There were a lot of either uh, good or bad. Yeah, there were a lot of mental stumbling blocks. Uh, one of the things I, I talked about in the book that was really interesting from a writing perspective much harder in a uh, had to, having to live through a perspective is just how going on such an arbitrary, narrow diet rearranges your concept of what a meal is um, and how we just in general talk about meals as these kind of assembled, elaborate things that's just built into the human consciousness as we never really eat just kind of simple. I mean, we, we do some of us more so than others, but meals have become more of an elaborate cooked framework of food rather than just simple things on their own. Uh, and, and with this diet especially, I was eating more just simple things on their own. So bread and cheese and maybe some cured meat, maybe sauerkraut or uh, pickles or olives or something on the side. So covering all the, the food groups that you would normally eat in a meal, but just on their own, like kind of a, a platter you would get at a party normally. But, you know, so something mentally told me, like, this isn't a meal. Like, you're not you're not eating enough food. Uh when really it was kind of the same thing that I would be eating if I had made a sandwich. It was this weird kind of mental rearrangement of, of conceptualizing, what, conceptualizing what a meal was and eating that same thing over and over. Or eventually my mind was like, no, that's, you're, I don't know, this is weird. This is not what you were doing before. Why are you doing this? And I had to adjust into eating just this simpler, stripped down type of, of, of diet. And I eventually had to, you know, had to tell myself, like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is the same types of food you'd be eating. Anyway, and the point is that fermentation can be all types of food. It's just you can't see, eat it in the same forms that you normally would when you're, you know, cooking with any materials available to you. Right. It's kind of like you're eating those de- fancy deconstructed desserts or right. appetizers for every meal. Right. It's, it's kind of, yeah, what you would think of as appetizers or, you know, again, like kind of party platters or, you know, yeah, the type of appetizers you get at a fancy Italian restaurant or something for every meal. Um, but I, you know, it's actually not really a bad thing. I don't think, I think there are some merits to eating simpler. I think that that could be a, a good thing overall for people to embrace more in their diets is just eating things that aren't so elaborate, that are uh, like good core fundamental foods and just their inherent state without worrying so much about preparing these elaborate dishes out of them it kind of forces you to eat, eat less and just eat more, more true to what the food's are by themselves right what, what they're meant to be yeah, you're eating yeah. more th- kind of thoughtfully right too. exactly yeah cool. and it's also easier I, I, you know spent like a whole week camping in vermont in the, the fall and just kind of pulling foods out of cooler just eating some bread and some butter and cheese and like it, it's kind of nice not having to think about preparing food either just eating these simple things on their own true yep yeah. in the book you mentioned uh, the theory of, of three simple <laughs> complex <laughs> foods yeah, you want to touch on that a little bit? Okay, what yeah. are the three simple <laughs> complex foods, and uh, what does that mean? I, I pro- hopefully, I do a much better job of explaining this in the book than I'll be able to do <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, it was a fun theory that I, I was really proud of myself when I thought of this. Um, and again, I probably probably go into it a lot more in the book. Um, 
I think you could probably pick this out with any culinary tradition. Obviously, from a, a, as a Westerner, I, I chose Western foods that we're, mm-hmm. we're familiar with for these examples. So this is not to say these are the only examples. But uh, in the book, the three foods that I talk about uh, for this are uh, uh, beer, bread, and cheese as these uh, examples of fermented foods or, you know, what most people just view as kind of core basic foods uh, that don't exist really without human intervention. Um, other, even other fermented foods are just kind of uh, themselves in a slightly altered form. Sauerkraut is just cabbage that's been allowed to ferment, which is something that can happen in nature, to, you know, without right. inter- human intervention. Uh, beer, bread, and cheese, uh, uh, they, they can exist uh, without human intervention. They're all kind of engineered and microbes take the engineered, altered form of their the roots and then again transform them into a new fermented state that kind of requires these multiple layers of the microbial world, the human world, all working to achieve these very elaborate, um, elaborate foods that are, you know, we think of them as very simple um, and that they are these kind of core, simple, uh, pure, f- essential foods that have these really nuanced, complex complex flavors that I think are partially due to their sort of artificially engineered state. Right. That I, I think you don't get from other even fermented foods because right. um, there's so much elaboration that has to happen for these foods to even exist in the first place. Right. right. What was it's, one of your most challenging fermented foods to eat? Like that one thing. We all have them. We all have <laughs> things that we've tried and we will never go back to. What right. was it for you? Uh, as far as like, just, it could it wasn't... be in the book or anything since, like, in, mm-hmm. in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that I really wanted to make work, and that weren't necessarily horrendous, but that just weren't weren't quite cutting it. Uh, a lot of veggies that I wanted to be able to eat, uh, veggies and fruits, I guess. Uh, they just take a weird, you know, certain things take a weird texture when you ferment them and you want to, want to embrace that fermented version of it. And it's just not quite doing it for you. Um, <laughs> Especially rad- if you've had them in another Right. Form like I love radishes and they just get kind of soggy and a little weird when you ferment <laughs> them, at least in my experiences, I've never had anyone else's fermented radishes. So maybe I just suck at them. <laughs> um, and I, I kept trying, like I kept thinking like if I can master some kind of, really simple like lacto or something fermented uh rice and bean dish mm-hmm. that'd be like such an easy core food that like well people live off in college anyway you know like something real simple uh like that and i it, same thing it just would take this weird weird unappealing uh texture that i couldn't couldn't quite get yeah. into that much yeah. um trying to think I, I mary mean, and i are headed to iceland and I, I i hear you went there and i'm surprised that maybe the shark is not on your on your list well that's <laughs> that's a great point uh i would probably try the shark again yeah. i i would say there are things that i uh hated <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say i disliked the shark it was an interesting experience probably the worst thing the one thing i could never eat again uh, would be Chinese century eggs. Oh yeah. Based on the, uh, <laughs> the the appearance and the texture of them, they take on this like geode green uh, <laughs> appearance, and the yolk is just this. It looks like you said it was something out of H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> like it's about to Monster hatch an slime. elder. Gut. Yeah. Uh, that just based on like the lingering 
visage of it burned into my brain. I like started gagging when I was chewing it. So that then compared to a few months later, I, I went to Iceland. Uh, I wanted to end the year with like the craziest ferment that I could think of. Um, and if you do some reading or, or look into the world of fermentation for much or for very long, you'll pretty much come across a few different things that people ascribe as like the craziest ferment they can find. And uh, Hakarl, uh, Icelandic rotten shark meat, kind of breaks out of even that is like a lot of celebrity chefs have, have pinned it as like the worst food in the world, the, the right. smelliest thing they've ever eaten. Right. You know, it gets all these, uh, it, it gets all these hyperboles attached to it. Uh, and I, I thought, okay, that, that has to be it. Like one, who can turn on a trip to Iceland? Like I wanted to go there anyway. Yeah. Two, it looks like the craziest fermented food I can find anywhere. So perfect. Like I, I need to end this, this crazy epic diet with a crazy epic trip to this like northern barren wasteland where this one guy is hanging these dried dead sharks out in a shack behind his house. That's exactly the story we had before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a there's a couple people that make there's four or five producers of a Carl in Iceland. Um, uh, but the uh, Bjornenhofen, I please uh, forgive me if I butchered that pronunciation. I, I think that's it. Uh, something close to that is this uh, shark museum that the the country is designated as kind of like the place to go. It's a little museum that's got guy's house basically uh, where he makes the shark out back. So it's kind of if you want to find true rotten shark meat, that's like the best place to find it um, in the world. In the world, <laughs> not that you'll find it much outside of Iceland. Um, so yeah, I, I ventured up there during a. a sideways sleep blowing <laughs> arctic gale uh <laughs> an avalanche <laughs> blocked know, off the the road like it was as epic as as i could possibly have. It, it does i think because you really get you really get a sense uh of why they had to eat this to survive <laughs> four or five hundred years ago like, it was just sunny and beautiful and and 23 hours of daylight you're like oh it's you know it's not that bad here <laughs> Going in the winter, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, you're not supposed to be here. Um, I get why they were really desperate. This is not meant for human beings. Um, beautiful country, though. It's awesome. And uh, the, the rotten shark meat is, I don't think, as as bad as, as people make it out to yeah. be. But I say that because I think everyone should have to try it. Um, it we're does gonna, Well, we, we might go to the place, that the cafe that you went to first. Because I know that's cafe the easiest way yes. to... To go and I had already read about that online. Beginner shark so, meat, though. Yeah, it's not yeah. Quite we'll be in there real quick now. Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that yeah. I actually. I think if we're going for days. longer, we would be yeah. tempted to go to the Shark Museum if it's open. Okay. But we're only I, going for a few days, so we might just go to the Beginner Shark. I actually like that one. Like legitimately like Liked that it. that right. version. Yeah. Tasted. I'm okay like with training yeah. wheels before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was cheesy. It was good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would eat that again. Right up. Awesome. What um you have recipes in the book too. So are do you still so outside of beer? Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing at the brewery and kind mm-hmm. of what your brewing philosophy is. You you do a lot of interesting things. Your blog is super interesting actually as well. Thank you. You do a lot of experimental kind of things. So Yeah, I mean I I I think the the levels of interest uh, certainly begin to overlap as you get into fermented food, fermented beer can't help but, you know, cross over. So a lot of my brewing uh philosophy and a lot of my efforts at Ken Falls Brewing Company have been into the funkier, uh, you know, what, what beer people call farmhouse-style beer typically. So um, trying three or four different methods of brewing with wild indigenous uh, yeast and bacteria uh, to the farm. There's um, a, a 
a yeast culture, yeast and bacteria culture I have going with um, microbes that I cultured off of squash from the farm. Basically just started fermenting um, squash in the fall and then like pitched those into a beer and just uh, figured that the microbes from the squash were kind of, they seemed to be conducive to a beer environment uh, based on the pellicle they formed. So I just threw them in, let them go, decided to see what would happen and that's going really well. Um, I have uh, a culture going from basically I walked around the farm with a jar and just threw a bunch of bark and, and squash blossoms and flowers and bees and things into the jar. Let that go and then also just pitched that into beer. With, into, okay, so you did like a starter? With I did a starter, work? basically decanted off okay. all the vegetable matter, took the, the dregs at the bottom and then pitched those dregs into uh, beer wort um, and grew that up and that's actually... Um, that's actually been going in uh, barrels for over a year now. I think we are actually bottling that, packaging that beer tomorrow as it happens. They, have you sampled it? Yes, yeah. It How's came it out really nice. Yeah, like nice, complex, aged, sour, you know, wild ale character. Really cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to, I, I only, I didn't get through the entire chapter, but the uh, chapter when you first did that while while they were mm-hmm. planning on getting their, their, their brewery together, you, got, you took some apples through some of the hops because they're growing hops also oh, on the yeah, farm, right? In it, yep. You threw the hops into, into this jar, and then you know, within relatively few hours, you saw some movement in there. Uh, yeah, and it, it <laughs> turns <awesome> out <laughs> I, I thought I had cultured the most uh, aggressive microbes <laughs> in the world. It saw this like jet of bubbles in rising out of the, the bottom. Um, yeah, it turns out there was a bee in there uh, amidst all the vegetable matter that I had harvested. Somehow, like I th- it was, it was a long time later, or at least for something submerged in liquid. I, don't know how he didn't drown, but he made it happily out alive and hopefully really? imparted some some microbes to the culture. Yeah. There you go. Undoubtedly, they visit a lot of places. So. Yeah. yeah. What's your probably favorite ferment to do now? Do you still, I mean, out, I guess beer maybe, but outside sure. of beer. Uh, yeah, outside of beer. Um, late, I mean, I've been so busy the last year, I haven't had as much time to get real wacky with my experiments in the kitchen as I would have liked. Um, so my favorites have probably been some of the simpler, but like, really versatile ferments that I, I learned from my year of fermentation um, to the veggie ferments that I that I've become really fond of, or two or three, three I can think of, I guess. Um, I do a, kind of a modified kimchi with just uh, like Western-style uh, sauerkraut, but with the kimchi spice. Um, find it be a quick, a bit easier and quicker to make than kimchi, and I, I like to kind of crunch it retains and the simplicity of it. Um nice compromise between making regular kraut and kimchi i just mm-hmm. make the one kind of like um, a hybrid yeah exactly yeah um make a uh a carrot uh parsnip ginger ferment that i really like has a nice bite to nice. it uh real tasty was really that was one of my early surprises where i just you know three simple ingredients and i couldn't believe how complex and interesting it tasted together when it came out um and fermented hot sauce i find uh, always comes out really interesting i can never seem to make the same fermented hot sauce <laughs> twice uh, but that's one that took me a while to kind of perfect or, or not even perfect, but not be not terrible. Uh, and once I got the hang of it, I really enjoying making fermented hot sauces. Awesome. That's something we haven't done yet. No, we've mm-hmm. wanted to do it for a long time. Nice. But we have all this hot sauce left over from when she judged the Screaming Mimi Awards. Like, can't make our own, own hot sauce. You can never have, have enough like hot sauce. <laughs> hot sauce. We have like house. 70 bottles, <laughs> bottles at home. I'm just kind of yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. half my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's so versatile, though. Yeah. What is the AHA Research and Education Fund project? I know my shit. Uh, um, the effects of live culture beer on one man's microbiome. 
Uh, that was a, a brief little experiment, um, just to, to kind of quickly see if, if um, it was possible to gauge. Uh, so, uh, with this book, I, I wanted to kind of uh, steer clear of trying to make any overt scientific claims based on my diet. Like, it's an anecdotal thing. It's you know, it's one person's experiment, um, especially in the world of fermentation, which. You know, it's obviously part of this larger movement of like kind of uh, modern, you know, the modern uh, look at, at health and, and uh, all the things that get become associated with it. There can be a lot of wild claims associated with fermentation right. a lot of times. Um, I, I, you know, got nervous about trying to, to say anything too scientific uh, based on, on my diet. You know, uh, I, I wanted to keep it more educational and informative um, and hopefully entertaining. We did do a brief experiment where uh, I brewed a beer, um, and uh, my friend uh, consumed uh, beer with just a single yeast culture, uh, I believe, for two weeks, and then uh, like more of a probiotic live culture with uh, you know bacteria uh, that you'd find in something like um, kombucha or something. Uh, for another couple of weeks, we tested his his uh, his microbiome microbiome uh, with this one service that you can send in samples, um, and they'll analyze what microbes are in your gut. You get the results back, and you can see what changed. Uh, mm-hmm. It's much harder to parse apart what those uh, changes actually mean. So he, you know, he did some analysis, and no, you know, there's there's no real conclusions that we've been able to right. to tweak out yet. So you were sending uh, stool samples for for this, yeah, thing, right? yeah. Gotcha. But that's cool because you publish it on it's published on the AJ yes, website. It's can, available. You can Google it. It's available for anyone to download and, and right. look at. And it was a cool. Did you guys use their research and grant program? Um. Uh, yeah, I believe yes. I they do some cool. There's yeah. some really interesting stuff that comes out of that. But anyway, it's cool because it's. I think you know. Yeah, uh, I forget. I forget what the. It's a neat little I, I guess it's under. Uh, I, is it really under? Yeah. I know my shit. Yeah, yes. it says I know my shit. Yeah. Okay, yep. I, I know my shit. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that's how you find it. But yeah. definitely, um, yep. it is. It's it's certainly an interesting read. Yeah, I, uh, it was in I guess Symergy. Um, yeah, I, you know, no no hard conclusions right. based on that. Like it was kind of cool to Soft see. Soft only. Right, yes. right, right, right. Yes, um, it was cool to see the changes that. Uh, you could create with just a, a sudden shift in diet like that, but again, nothing that you'd be like, "Oh, well, this is how you should leave, lead your life," or right, "This right. is what you should eat." Right. Yeah. yeah, nothing that drastic. Yes, but. there are a ton. I mean, if you were interested, there are a ton of interesting studies that are ongoing right now. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of opinions are changing about obviously just diet in general, everything from gluten intolerance to. Um, preservatives to yeah our microbiomes both on our skin and inside our body Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of research out there right now that's ongoing and it's going to be interesting to see what happens you still heavily active with bear uh bear flavored uh i try um yeah yeah, it's been pretty busy with like one post a month uh lately yeah i'm hoping to to be a lot more active this year and especially want to you know help people engage with the book through that too so i'm going to try to start i've been kind of in a lull biding my time to start building up some posts of recipes and Mm -hmm. and other things to kind of share things from the book with people that's bear-flavored bear like the animal-flavored.com yeah a lot of ideas that i have for you know uh walk or bringing people into the world of professional brewing uh, not just home brewing that i just haven't really gotten time to write awesome and that's something that 
lots of homebrewers are interested in. Yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> can people pre-order your book? Uh, they can. Yeah, it's uh, it is on Amazon. Uh, you can search for the Fermenta Man on Amazon, um, and I'm sure you can pre-order it with your local bookstore, which is probably an even better idea. Please go in and request it from yeah. them. Let it know. Let them know yeah. it's on. It's on your radar, and it should be on their radar as also, well. Also, no matter where you get it, it helps every writer if you can uh, if you can write a small little review on Amazon. So when you get it, get him, get him, get him those stats. Good review, yeah. A good. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a bad one star, I and mean, you don't have to then. But. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a good review. It's, it's a great. It book. is a great book. It's, it's really, <laughs> thank really you. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us thank in the studio. If you're going to be in Philadelphia this next week, we'll see you at the national uh, or at the Brewers uh, Craft Brewers Conference. I'll be there. For some a of days. us. I will, yeah. Some <laughs> one one third of us. Uh, I'm very excited. I'll have a couple of nice interviews from that. Also, if you're going to be in Iceland next Sunday, I'm playing a jazz performance at the brewery. I'm very excited about that. I'll be playing some jazz at 8 o'clock at the uh, Bridgian Brewery. B-R-Y-G-G-Y-A-N Brewery. So come have some beer and some jazz music. Yep. And we're going to pack as much as we possibly can into four days in Iceland. We're definitely going to eat as much. I'm going to eat as much scare as I can from as many different places. Um, So we'll we'll have an Iceland report when we get back as well. (laughs) Yep. What are you going to do, Rachel? While you guys are gone, hold down the fort. Uh, I'm going to hold down the fort, and I'm going to eat all of the cashew cheese you've left behind. Oh, there you go. There also, you go. I will say that we did, um, Chris and I got to attend uh, a very special beer camp oh, yeah. across yeah, America yeah. press preview. Um, so Sierra Nevada has done a collaboration with 30 different breweries. It was broken into six different regional teams. So 30 breweries outside of Sierra Nevada were involved in this from all over the country. Um, they came up, they basically... It was a very extensive process that started, I think, last June or July, and they did six different collaboration beers. We got to try all of them. They were fantastic. I know that bars are going to, there are special designated bars that are going to be pouring them on draft, I believe, this Friday, like Arrogant Swine is one of them. I don't have a list. You could probably find it on their website. They're going to be doing a series of festivals. Anyway, we got to speak to Sam Caligione, who was one of the team leader, regional team leaders, as well as Brian Brian Grossman from Sierra Nevada. So we have an interview from them that we'll be playing probably next Monday, but but definitely in the the next uh, two or three weeks. Um, And the beers were great. So there's a limited number of these 12 packs. Uh, a lot of the profits are going to be going to charity. So it's a super cool event, great liquid. Uh, so keep an eye, you know, keep an eye, cool, super cool project. Keep an eye out for those. That's right. Derek, thanks again. Yep. Much love. Fomen about, about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.